Flyers Daily with Jason Mertidis. All right, here we go. Flyers Daily for Sunday, April 24th, as the Flyers will be back in action today. Matinee hockey, kind of matinee. It's, I guess, twilight hockey. Flyers and Penguins at 4 o'clock at Wells Fargo Center. And the Flyers will wrap up their season series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they'll head right out on the road after to Chicago to take on the Blackhawks tomorrow. And then their final road game of the season coming up Wednesday against Winnipeg. And their final game of the season coming up five days from now on Friday against the Ottawa Senators at Wells Fargo Center. Now the Penguins, once again, in the playoff mix. Stories of their demise are greatly exaggerated. I thought that by now they would have dropped off as well, but it just hasn't seemed to happen. Year after year, they're sitting in the third spot right now in the Metropolitan Division of the Eastern Conference, although they're only two points up on Washington, who's got that fourth spot and a wild card position. And Washington has a game in hand. Washington 7-2-1 in their last 10. Pens have not been as good of late. 4-5-1, although they have won their last two and got a 7-2 win over Detroit in their last game. Now the Penguins, goals for when you look at what they've accomplished so far this season, really respectable. 10th in the NHL, 3.32 goals per game in the NHL. Where they've been just incredibly better is keeping the puck out of their net. And as I always say, this is a cumulative sport. Putting goals in the opposition net, just as important as keeping them out of your net. 266 goals allowed per game. That is the fourth lowest total of goals allowed per game in the NHL. Only teams ahead of them, Carolina, Rangers, Calgary. And then it's the Pittsburgh Penguins. Power play, 20.9% on the season. It's uh, middle of the pack, 16th in the NHL. The PK for the Pittsburgh Penguins clicking at 86%, which is obviously pretty good when you see a team that's keeping the puck out of their net. It's the second best penalty kill in the NHL. So the Pens going to be headed to the postseason once again. Will they be going in as a wild card team or will they go in as one of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference? That much remains to still to be determined. Right now, if the season ended, they'd get the New York Rangers in the first round, who are seven points up in the standings on them. If they were slipped to the wild card position, they could draw the Florida Panthers in the first round, who have the best record in the Eastern Conference. How about Florida's got 118 points? Now, they're eight points ahead of the second-place team in the conference, and that is the Carolina Hurricanes. And the Canes have played two more games. And all of a sudden, since the trade deadline and that acquisition of Claude Giroux, I mean, they've won 12 straight games, but they also uh, have now leapfrogged to the top spot in the NHL, two points up on the Colorado Avalanche, and Florida has played one less game than the Avalanche. Just, I'm not usually a big trade deadline guy of what you get at the deadline is really going to help that much, but the addition of Claude Giroux has been enormous for the Florida Panthers, and they were a not a really good team, an excellent team prior to the acquisition of Drew, and they're even better with more depth now, and they've rattled off 12 straight wins. I just can't imagine what it's like for a player like Drew that had a 13-game winless skid, a 10-game winless skid here in Philly, and just all of a sudden you're traded, and boom, you're playing on a team that's got a 12-game win streak. They're streaking towards the playoffs, Becker's record in the NHL, and you got a real shot at that big shiny trophy, Lord Stanley's Cup. So uh, best of luck to Claude Giroux and uh, the Florida Panthers as we get closer and closer to not only determining the playoff uh, matchups, but also 
the actual playoffs are just about a week and a half away at this point, which is uh, always a great time of year. I'd love for the Flyers to be a part of it this year. That obviously was not in the cards. I had a couple leftover questions from yesterday's episode that I wanted to get to in this episode. A couple of uh, ones that came in after I had recorded that I wanted to address as well, with three in particular. And here's the first one. Chris Fiore tweets in and says, why not punt one year? He said, rather than trade a pick to get rid of JVR and his contract, why not wait him out? You also don't re-sign Lindblom after next year because there's $10 million plus. Your other high-end guys also have one less year and their contracts making them easier to get rid of and the cap goes up and a high pick in 2023. This is something I've talked about a little bit, something maybe months ago I would not have even been open to, but with the volatility of the Ryan Ellis situation in particular, um, that's th- this is something that I've talked about, maybe a bit of a preference of mine. If there's something there in front of you, a good deal to be made, then I'm all for making it. But I don't want the team to you know, deal for the sake of dealing and deal from a position of weakness and risk the chance of kind of getting fleeced because of it because teams know you are really desperate to make a deal. So if, if a good deal is there and it's fair and it's a really good deal, it's going to help the team not only next year but for many years to come, I'm all for it. But that notion, I, I don't want to send organizational equity out the door with somebody for James Van Riemsdyk's contract, I mean, there's a chance that he could be tradable. I mean, he's leading the team now in goals and maybe just retain $2 million of that $7 million final year. He's a guy that can score and does have value around the league. So I don't know that it's a foregone conclusion that nobody's going to want to trade for him in the final year of that contract. Um, and, you know, you can wait it out and you can – Put yourself in a good salary cap position for, you know, perhaps a, a very good free agent class. It's easy to look at the class of 2023 now and go, hey, this looks great. Look at all these names out there. But a lot of those guys haven't had the ability to re-sign yet. So a lot of them will uh, once July 1st hits and their teams are allowed to sign them. Once you're in the final year of your deal, uh, you can extend. So... I don't disagree with that notion, though. If there's not a deal there, you know, maybe go into next season without this huge structural change or flipping over your roster and go into next season and go, okay, we're going to still continue to develop younger players. We're going to see what we have with some of these younger players. We're going to push as hard as we can, but we're not going to sell the farm. And when it comes to the next offseason, we'll have a good draft pick this year in 2022. We'll get a good draft pick in 2023. Then we're going to push back in and we're going to push toward the playoffs and we're going to really start making a move. You know, doing that, that type of, you know, kind of turnaround or it's not an aggressive retool. It's not a rebuild. It's a recoil, I guess, is not necessarily a bad thing, in my opinion. As far as the cap going up, the cap's only going to go up $1 million this year. And then the next year, it's only going to go up a million as well. And then a year after that, likely only a million dollars before it gets on regular escalation. That's due to the fact that the players deferred some of that uh, money paid back when the pandemic first hit. And now they have to pay off the the make good, if you will, from the shortfall of splitting hockey-related revenue 50-50. So um, the cap going up is probably still a couple years away to a significant margin. 
but it will go up, like I said, a million this year, a million next year, and likely a million the year after that. Um, we got another one here from Spider28Spider. He had tweeted in and said, what do you think the single biggest mistake the Flyers have made in the last five years that have led them to where they are as an organization now? And this is a really interesting question because when you have two years in a row like this, it's not just bad luck. There's a mistake along the way, and usually there's multiple mistakes along the way, and there was. There's mistakes along the way. There is some bad luck, obviously, with injuries, and there's some bad luck that Matt Niskanen wanted to retire. Uh, there's a, some bad luck in I mean, can you say that trading for Ryan Ellis was bad luck? He's a guy that's been injured a lot in his career, but I don't think we anticipated this, where he'd only play four games this year. And to this point, we still don't have resolution on exactly what ails him and how they're going to move forward with him. So, you know, some of it is luck. Some of it is bad luck. Some of it is, you know, self-inflicted wounds. And the biggest mistake I go back to, and look, I I would have made the same mistake. So I'm not being critical of Ron Hextall and his team for drafting Nolan Patrick, but that's the biggest mistake because the the ripple effect of Nolan Patrick and what Nolan Patrick has turned into at the NHL level and the fact that he's not here anymore and that he wasn't available for an entire season, the ripple effect of that is so pronounced for this team that you know you move up from 13 to 2, you think that's going to be good luck. And just turned into a nightmare. And that's not because they didn't handle him right or anything like that. Uh, no one's, it's a shame because he's an incredibly skilled hockey player. He really is. And he was, he earned that spot to be a, a top two overall pick in the 2017 draft. But there's something just missing from his compete level and his desire. And maybe it's the head injuries. I don't know. Only he knows that. But at the, at the way he's going right now, and it's not just because of injury, his career's in jeopardy. And it's a shame because, like I said, he's got a lot of talent, a ton of talent. But he's got to want to play, and he's got to want to do the right things at the NHL level to be able to do that. And I just don't know. I have not seen much of an indication that he wants to do that at this point. And that's a shame. But the ripple effect of that is – Okay, you pick number two overall in that draft, you end up with basically a nothing burger. And if you would have, you know, picked Heiskanen or Makar, that's so you got basically nothing with the pick, and you don't get a Heiskanen or a Makar. So that compounds it even further. So that's that's probably the biggest the biggest element when I look at mistakes over the last five years, that is the most pronounced one. And again, we went into that draft. I mean, had he not dealt with a core injury that year, he probably would have been the number one overall pick. I don't I don't think there's any doubt about that, that he would have been the number one overall pick over Heesher. And Heesher's been decent, not great, but the guys that went beyond Patrick and beyond Heesher uh, were much better, no doubt about that. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. Flyers and Penguins today at 4 o'clock at Wells Fargo Center. We'll wrap up their season series, and we'll break it down tomorrow. Coming up on a brand new Flyers Daily. Enjoy your hockey today, everybody. Love is a burning thing, and it makes the fire.